This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet at Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of dog training. Now, we talked about this earlier in a part one series, but it is so important. There's more information that you need to know. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about part two of what you need to know when it comes to training your dog. Now, in a previous episode of part one, please make sure to check that out. We talked about how to find a good dog training facility. We talked about how you must do two semesters of dog training. We talked about the important supplies like getting a promise collar or a gentle leader. And we talked about the five to maybe seven commands that you need to be able to teach your dog. It's not things like shaking or jumping or hugging. It's really life-saving commands like sit, stay, come, heal down, and maybe the extras of off and leave it. The reason why I'm such an advocate of dog training is because I promise you that it's going to make your dog a really well-behaved member of your family. But more importantly, it could save your dog's life. I see way too many dogs get hit by a car or accidentally swiped by a car because they were walking on the wrong leash or they didn't have a good recall. In other words, when you call them and say, come, they don't come back. I see this more in the spring, in the summer, when dogs are excited that winter's over and they're running around on a really nice day. In fact, in the ER vet, we know when it's an 80 degree day and it's beautiful outside and spring is here, we know we're going to see way more trauma in the veterinary ER. I spent a lot of time talking about the gentle leader, otherwise known as a promise collar, and why I'm such a huge advocate of them. So make sure to check that out. I did want to follow up on a couple of really important tools that you're going to need in your house to make sure that your dog is appropriately trained. Now, I'm not just talking puppies here. Whether or not you have an older dog or you adopted a two-year-old dog or a 10-year-old dog, these are all really important things that I want you to potentially implement into your lifestyle. So the first one I want to talk about is the dog crate. Why do we use dog crates? 
Now, I will say it is really important to make sure that you appropriately crate train your dog. Now, if you just adopted a 10-year-old geriatric dog who's never been in a crate before, don't bother. They've never been used to it. They're not going to tolerate it very well. But I'm talking to all you dogs that are typically less than two to three years of age, especially for puppies. Now, you guys know, not only am I an emergency critical care veterinary specialist, but I'm also a toxicologist. Every single day in the ER vet, I see a dog and a cat that's been poisoned by something. In other words, they got into something that they shouldn't have. They've been counter surfing. They found your backpack or your purse. They chewed into a bottle of ibuprofen or Tylenol. And some of this stuff can actually kill your pet. That's why I'm an advocate of crate training. At least from the pet proofing aspect, I promise it will dramatically cut down on the amount of poisons that your dog accidentally gets into. So I'm a huge advocate that puppies should be crate trained ideally for the first six to nine months of their life. As soon as I get a puppy, which is usually around eight weeks of age, I get them used to the crate because it is so important. Remember, crates should never be used as punishment. In part one of all you need to know about training your dog, we talked about how to use positive reinforcement. We want to make sure that we're not using physical or verbal punishment to yell at a dog. We never want to do that. We want to use positive reinforcement. So when it comes to crates, please realize that they should be considered safe places for your pet. You really want to think of it as the equivalent of a wolf den. Now, typically, if I'm at work or I'm at the clinic, my dog's at home, I like to keep my dog in a crate if they're appropriately trained, because not only is it going to prevent that accidental poisoning, but it could prevent your dog from damaging or chewing on something that they're not supposed to, like your furniture. Again, I see a lot of dogs that come in because they ate a sock or they ate a hand towel requiring a several thousand dollar surgery when you could have saved all that money by just appropriately crate training your puppy early in life. This is especially important for all you Labrador Retriever owners out there because those dogs, even though they're my favorite, are chow hounds. They love to chew on things. Now, what do you need to know when it comes to getting a crate? You don't just want to get any free crate out there. You actually want to do your research. When it comes to crates, the first important thing to keep in mind is that you want to pick a good quality, sturdy one, not one that's rusty or going to shake and fall apart. But you also want to look at the size. You want to pick a crate that's not too big and not too small. Why? You don't want the crate to be too big because what can happen is as you're puppy training or potty training your puppy, you want to make the crate small enough where your dog's not going to walk to the other side of the crate and urinate or defecate in it. Wolves don't defecate or urinate in their own den, right? That's the place where they're supposed to hang out and sleep. So you really want to make sure the crate is big enough for your dog to stand in comfortably and stretch in, but not so big that they're going to walk to the entire other side and use it as their bathroom. The next thing you want to do, you want to make sure to create the mood. Everything positive that happens in your dog's life should happen in the crate. In other words, when they get a new treat or when they're fed or where their favorite blanket is, that should all be put in the crate. So your dog associates a crate with awesome things. When you're home, I actually want you to leave the crate door open. That way, if your dog is tired, an appropriately trained dog will go into the crate to sleep, even if you're home. Now, some people don't keep water in the crate because they're worried that it's going to affect puppy training. 
I'm of the firm belief that dogs and cats should always, always, always have access to fresh water. So I do leave water in the crate. You can pick a couple of different types of systems where your dog isn't spilling it. There's actually some stainless steel buckets you can actually hook to the door. Uh, So regardless, that's personal preference. I always believe in letting dogs have water in their crate while they're in there. Now, when it comes to crate training, you can't just jam a dog into a crate and close the door and walk out for eight hours. You have to do things gradually. Again, keep in mind, crates should never be used for punishment. You only want it associated with good things. So if you are about to feed your dog, make sure to offer your dog the food, make them sit and stay for the bowl, and then put the bowl into the crate so they'll eat directly in the crate. Whenever you're giving a dog a treat, make sure to put the treat directly in the crate so they know where to get it. Now, in the previous episode on dog training, I talked about when to release your dog from the crate. I talked about inappropriate positive negative training. When your dog is pawing at the crate door or howling or whining or shaking, that's not actually when you want to open the door. You actually want to ignore your dog, wait until they're quiet, lying down, and that's when you want to go over and open the crate and just say something quietly like, good dog. As soon as your dog is out of the crate, then you can level them up. So I know it doesn't seem intuitive, but please don't open the crate door and release your dog when they're howling and showing bad behavior. Again, as soon as you crate train your dog appropriately, I promise you a well-trained dog is going to actually purposely sleep in their crate, whether or not you're home or not when that door is open. Now, in full disclosure, I only crate trained Milo and my previous dog, JP, for about six months of their life. I crate trained them while they were potty training and also when they were sleeping at night. Once I felt like I could trust my dog to be free in the house and not chase my cat or get into poisonous things, that's when I would slowly try periods where my dog was out of the house. In other words, if I was leaving five minutes to go talk to the neighbor, I would leave my dog out. Once I felt like I could trust my dog to be out of the house, which you're going to pet proof anyway, I eventually get rid of the crate. So it really depends on how much room you have in your house, how comfortable your dog is in the crate and how well behaved they are. Eventually, I'm totally fine with you just isolating or even gating your dog into one area of the house like the kitchen or the living room, as long as that they have their dog bed, food source and water as needed. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Pet 
Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been talking about appropriately dog training and how it's really important to make sure that you have the right supplies at home. Things like the gentle leader or the promise collar. Things like a appropriately sized crate, a crate that's big enough for your dog to stand and stretch in, but not so big that your dog's going to urinate or defecate on the other side. Well, a few other things when it comes to training a dog. First thing is an appropriate collar. Now, when it comes to a dog's collar, it's worth the splurge because you're probably only going to have one collar for the next 10, 15 years once your dog's grown out of that puppy growing stage. Now, when it comes to collars, please make sure that it's well secured and not too snug. I always like to check the collar frequently every couple of weeks as my puppy is growing. I have seen rare situations in the veterinary ER where dog or cat collars have grown so tightly into the fur of a dog that it actually causes severe skin wounds. So you always want to make sure to check that collar and make sure it's not too snug or not too tight. On the converse side, you also want to make sure that collar's not too loose. I can't tell you how many dogs that I see coming into the ER where they can pull their head out of the collar as they're trying to pull off the leash in a different direction. That is extremely dangerous. So again, my general rule is you should be able to stick two to three fingers underneath the collar to make sure it's snug enough. Now, I'm a firm advocate of keeping collars on your pets at all time, even when they're inside the house. This is especially important for cats. If you have a cat that accidentally sneaks outside and it's not microchipped or doesn't have a collar on, I hate to break it to you, but you may never be reconnected with that cat. Someone a mile away may think, oh, I just found this awesome, great cat. I'm going to keep it. So when in doubt, even my indoor pets have collars on at all times. I will share with you a horrible, sad, heartbreaking story. One of my colleagues was a veterinarian and they were pet sitting for someone and they were actually pet sitting a veterinary professional's dog. Well, unfortunately, because the collar was jingling with the tags, the pet sitter took the collar off once the dog got into her house. Well, unfortunately, someone shot fireworks in the neighborhood and that dog was totally noise phobic. They burst out of the screen door without their collar on and they were lost forever. Had that dog had that collar on or been microchipped, there would have been some hope of reuniting that dog. That is a pet sitter's biggest nightmare. And it happened to one of my veterinary professional friends. So when in doubt, please always make sure to have a collar on your dog and cat, even when they're at home. Now, if you can't stand that jingling of the tags, they actually create things to help secure those tags together. Now, you can use something as simple as a rubber band. That's what I do when my pet sitter is coming. I keep the collar on. I actually use a rubber band to secure the rabies tag and the ID tag so they're not jingling and disturbing them. But I want to make sure that my dog and cat are collared at all times. The next important tool, making sure you have the right type of leash. Now, I know if you go to a pet store, there are so many different types of leashes you can buy. And if you want to be filled in on a little veterinary secret, veterinarians hate flexible extended leashes. Why? While I know it gives you lots of flexibility for your dog to walk 10, 12 feet away from you, a lot of these flexible extended leashes don't allow appropriate control of your dog. For example, you have to reel your dog in and pull them really tight to be able to get some of these flexi leads to be able to lock. So most veterinary professionals are not advocates of these types of flexible extended leashes unless you have a really good dog that's going to come back on command right away. 
My general rule is you want to start with a six to eight foot leash that's well secured to a snug collar and snug attachment point. Now, if you did dog obedience training for two semesters, you would realize that dogs should not pull on their leash and that dogs should be taught to walk on the left side of your body. Now, I know that sounds weird, and you're probably thinking, why does my dog have to walk on the left side of me? It probably dates back to the old days where people always led horses from the right side. And if you notice, most horses are led from the right side, and your dog is led from the left side. Who knows? I'm sure there's some reason why this all originated. But when you teach your dog to heal, that means you're going to walk at the same speed as you, not walk ahead of you, and it's usually on the left side. Now, I talked before about how the word or command heal is a really important command. I use this command when my dog is off leash, so he always walks right next to me and doesn't run off into the street or up to a person. When you start training your dog to walk by a leash, it's not as intuitive as it sounds. Dogs don't innately know how to walk on a piece of rope. So it's really important to train your dog how to walk. They shouldn't be pulling. And again, that's why I'm such an advocate of the gentle leader or promise collar. That two-part collar that looks like a muzzle, but really isn't. It really prevents your dog from pulling. The next important thing, make sure you pick a sturdy leash that has a handle that lets you grab it tightly and control your dog appropriately. If you've ever had a squirrel run by or a jogger sprinting by or someone's rollerblading, you want to make sure your dog doesn't pull. And you also want to make sure that you have good control to prevent any kind of accidents. I've actually seen a couple of rare circumstances where dogs have been on leash on these flexible extended leashes, run after a squirrel and gotten clipped by a car or hit by a car while they were still on the curb. So you really want to be careful. The next important part of dog leashes is how you're going to let your dog interact with other dogs on a leash. Now, keep in mind, if you have your dog on a really tight leash, Your dog can oftentimes pick up on the tension of the leash from the owner. So I don't like dogs to like run up to each other nose to nose and meet in such a fast manner. They haven't had time to be able to read each other's body language. And there's actually a movement where people will put different color ribbons on leashes. There's one movement where they'll put a yellow ribbon or a red ribbon, meaning my dog does not like other dogs. Please use caution when approaching my dog. And I actually really like that because it lets someone have the opportunity to cross to the other side of the road. When in doubt, you should be always watching for appropriate body language when dogs are meeting. Remember, when dogs meet head on, it's kind of rude. We don't want our dogs to fight, but it's really rude behavior for a dog to charge up to each other or jump on another dog. We always want to make sure that our dogs are on control, on leash, and you can even holler out to that person and say, hey, is it okay if my dog walks by your dog? So again, really important that our dog be good citizens when they're meeting our neighbors and their dogs too. When in doubt, I usually put my dog on a heel command. So my dog is on a very tight leash. He's walking right next to my left ankle. And I just walk on by and ignore that dog. The last part of dog training, the nails. Now, I don't know if any of you guys out there like clipping your dog's nails, but I'm going to guess that you hate it. When it comes to puppy training, the more you can get your dog used to some of these daily or monthly procedures that you should be doing, the better your quality of life and the more your veterinary professional will love you. So if you just got a new puppy or even a new kitten, you really want to get them used to having their toes handled. You'd be surprised how many dogs or cats hate having their feet touched. 
And you can simply do this while you're sitting on the sofa and you're snuggling with them. Just rub your dog's feet. I tried this on my kid too when they were an infant and I was trying to get them used to cutting nails. When in doubt, you always want to use positive association. Try a favorite treat like smearing some peanut butter on the floor or even having it in a bowl. And while they're licking it, you can just try to cut one or two nails while your pet is calm and totally distracted. When in doubt, please know you don't have to cut all 20 nails at once. Cut one or two nails and then try again the next day or try again the next week. There's a lot of tips on how to cut nails in dogs. When in doubt, ask your veterinary technician to give you tips on how to trim nails appropriately. You also want to make sure to have the right equipment. So a sharp, good dog nail trimmer. The faster you are at it, the better and easier it is for your dog or cat. Now, if you can't cut your dog's nails at all, you can always check with your veterinarian. They usually charge for this because it takes a lot of people to trim your dog's nails. I'm talking to all you pug owners out there. When in doubt, it's not worth stressing your pet out for this. Talk to your veterinarian about using what I call pharmacological intervention. In other words, drugs, drugs or sedatives that you can give at home two to three hours before you come in that will immensely help with trimming nails. Now I'll tell you my little secret. My pit bulls, despite lots of training, hated having their nails trimmed. And do you want to know how many times I trim my dog's nails? Like maybe once a year in the middle of the winter. And that's because I'm a runner. So my little trick is I like to run my dog or walk my dog on cement and voila, you never have to cut your dog's nails again. So that's my little tip. If you live in an area where you can wear down your dog's nails by walking them on cement, even better. The last part of training is training your dog or cat to get used to being groomed. Dogs and cats need to be groomed at least once a month. In fact, just so I don't forget in my busy life, I actually put this on my Google calendar so I remember to do it. Just like when you're trimming your dog or cat's nails, you want to keep the session short because most dogs and cats don't always like to be brushed. If you could just do it a few times while you're giving verbal praise and their favorite treat, you can get your dog or your cat used to being groomed. This is really important because as you know, pets shed more depending on what season it is. And if your cat grooms a lot, they're going to vomit a lot of hairballs. Plus, it feels so much better for your dog or cat to be groomed because it gets a lot of that extra hair out that should be shedding. I also like those grooming gloves. They look like big gloves. And so you can gently brush your pet while they're lying on the sofa with you and they don't even know they're being groomed simultaneously. So there you have it. Make sure to check out part one of all you need to know about training your dog, because again, it's so important to make sure your dog is an appropriate, well-behaved, trained member of your family. Don't forget to make sure that you have the right supplies, whether or not it's picking the right dog training facility, to having a gentle leader or promise collar, to using a six to eight foot leash that's sturdy, to making sure that you have a good collar that's snug and secure, but not too loose, to make sure that you have the right toe nail clippers. Again, all these things are going to help appropriately train your dog and make your life so much easier also. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee or email me your questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and want to thank Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.